You guys may be seated. And uh, if you've brought your Bibles today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. We've been doing a series on the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the first messages that Jesus spoke uh, as he began his earthly ministry. He kind of is casting a vision for what his kingdom is going to be like and comparing and contrasting what the kingdom of God is like with what the kingdom of this world is like. Uh, He has uh, interacted several times already in this message with the Pharisees, pointing out their false teachings, their false doctrines, their, their... behavior that's always trying to skirt around the law and find loopholes. We've referred to the Pharisees as being the Lord of the loopholes, the guys that always look for a way to to look religious and to look righteous, but at the same time to to feed their flesh and to do what they want to do. And, and we've also said on many occasions that we are not so different, that we are a lot like them in that we love to feed the flesh, we love to look righteous, and at the same time to to do what we want to do sometimes instead of what God's called us to do. And so uh, last week um, I was out, but Dalton preached, and Dalton did a great job reminding us of how the world chases after, uh, you know, he said that, that the world chases after uh, uh, food and drink and clothing, but that just as God has, has dealt with the, the lilies of the field, the birds of the air, all those kinds of things, that we have a God that has promised to, to take care of every one of our needs. And, and Dalton did a great job of reminding us how that, that it's only by God that, that our, our thirst is quenched, that it's only by God that, that we are fed spiritually, and that it's only by God that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so this week what we're going to do is to, to, to see that, that, that God's calling us to take those things that he's done in our lives. And now began to focus on how to live those things out. So he is a God that provides for all that we need. So we don't need to be anxious. But once I've received from the Lord those things that, that God has for me, what do I do with those? And how do I communicate that to our, our world? And, and this is where we're going to go today in today's message because what God does inside of us is not meant to be kept to ourselves, right? It's meant to be shared with the world. But we've got to be very careful sometimes of how we share that with the world because the world can take that as an offense. The world can take that as a way that, that we are looking down on them or we are judging them. And so we're in chapter 7 this morning, and, and Jesus is going to kind of turn our attention to, to how we communicate what he's done inside of us with the world that still needs to hear and still needs to know. But it's not just the world that's lost that needs to hear the gospel. It's the church that needs to hear the gospel again and again and again because we never move beyond the gospel. Listen, if, if you grab this, it would, be, it would be just tremendous. But the gospel is not something that just gets us saved. The gospel is what teaches us how to live that out every single day. And so the gospel is not something that we come to, oh, I need the gospel, I need to be saved, and then we're done. The gospel is, is, is good to bring us to salvation. It's good to help us in this process of sanctification. And, and the gospel is about God one day bringing us to that place of glorification when we stand before him. And so uh, as followers of Christ, we've got no reason to be anxious. Uh, this week, God's going to show us how to take what he's doing inside of us and to live that out for the world to see. And, and there's a real temptation for us as believers to forget where we've come from, what God did to reach us and to rescue us from sin, and what God's done to to mature us and to grow us in Christ. And there's a real temptation to forget that. And when that happens, there's this, this subtleness of judgmental attitudes that can sometimes set in. Um, sometimes um, we forget where we've come from, and we can become judgmental of others who may not be as far along in that process as we are. Or maybe they're not moving as fast as you would like them to. And, and so we, we, we can get impatient with them. Uh, there's also this real pressure, uh, sometimes within the church, to pretend that we are something that we're not. 
that, that we have somehow arrived, that we somehow got our lives together, that we are somehow super spiritual and, and that, you know, that we are above everybody else. And so there's this real temptation to, this, this, this pressure to pretend. And that can also lead to a judgmental spirit. It can also tend to a, a distract us from our own shortcomings and help us not to focus upon what God needs to do in us, but what we think God needs to be doing in everybody else. And so what Jesus is going to do today is to expose this harmful hypocrisy and show us that, that, that what he wants to do is to drill down deep and to examine and to expose our, our real motives for why we would want to point out sin in other people. So let's look at Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read together the first, the first five verses. And, uh, and Jesus is going to kind of begin this, this process of drilling down and, and looking at our motives. And so uh, Matthew 7, uh, beginning in verse 1, he says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. Now this is a, a, a verse that people love to quote, right? You ever try to talk to somebody and the first thing they do is put their finger up and say, No, 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 don't you judge. The Bible says you, you shouldn't judge. Well, you've you, you got to take this whole passage in the context. That's why we preach series like we're doing where we're going through a whole section of, of Scripture at one time to keep it in the context. So do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. So there's going to come a time where you're going to speak the gospel to somebody and, and they're going to, to kind of recoil, pull back just a little bit, and, and, and feel like maybe you're trying to judge them. And, and, and Jesus is warning us here that we need to be careful when we, when we speak these things. We need to be careful how we go about doing that because when we judge somebody else, if I, if I come to you and say, hey, man, you're not supposed to be doing that, it does a couple things. First of all, it says that I know what's right and wrong. So when I stand before God and God says, why did you do that? And you go, well, I didn't know. Yeah, you did. You're telling everybody else in town not to do it. So you can't plead ignorance, you can't say you didn't know, but, but we need to be careful because he says here also that, that with the measure that you use, it's going to be measured unto you. If you're gracious in your response to others, all right, great. But if you're not, you need to be careful. And then he uses an illustration here. He, he's going to use some exaggeration to make a point, but here's what he's going to say. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to this plank that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now this morning, I think the first thing we ought to do is to, to talk about what Jesus is not saying in this verse, okay? Before we get to what he is saying, let's talk about what he's not saying because there is so much misinterpretation around this passage. And so I think the first thing Jesus is not saying is that we can never judge another person's actions or another person's teachings. That's not what Jesus is saying in this passage. Scripture calls us to be discerning. It calls us to be wise. It calls us to be cautious, in fact, just a few verses later, down in verses 15 through 19, Jesus is going to warn us about false prophets. Well, how in the world do I know if somebody's a false prophet if I'm not making a judgment about what they say or about how they live or where they're leading people? We are called to make those, those decisions. We're called to, to listen with the spirits here, to hear and to understand what, what's being said, and then to make a judgment. Is this true and is this accurate and is this worthy to follow or is it not? So Jesus is not saying that we should never judge another person's actions or their teachings. He's also not saying that we should just ignore sin. 
Just stay quiet. Don't say anything. Because if you say something to them, they can say something back to you. That's not what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus' own teachings and his actions prove differently. He says that we're the light of the world. Remember early on in this series, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You're a city that's set on a hill. You need to, to, to do your, your acts of righteousness before men that they might see your good deeds. They might glorify God. So we're called to share the gospel. We're, we're called in the New Testament to be ambassadors of Christ, to speak and to compel people to come to Christ. And so that all requires that you and I speak the truth. And he's not saying here to withhold the truth. He's not saying that, that anything goes. But he's saying you need to check your motive for doing so. And this is where Jesus is going to go with this whole passage. And we'll talk about some more of that a little bit later. Jesus is also not saying that you better be careful because if you talk about their sin, they're going to talk about your sin. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying you should be fearful that what goes around is going to come around. Or he's not saying you better be quiet so others won't talk about you. He's also not saying that if you ignore their sin, then they will ignore your sin. Isn't that what we think sometimes, okay? That person's acting up, but man, if I, if I go to them and I say, hey, that's, that's not the right attitude. Or man, that's not the right behavior. Or, that's not the thing that, that a believer ought to be doing. That they're going to fire back and point out my sin. And I don't want them to do that, so I'm just going to stay quiet. Truth is this. As a believer who desires to live a godly, holy life, we ought to invite people to point out our weaknesses. It's not fun. And, and it doesn't come natural for any of us, I don't think. But, but if I really want to be godly, then, then I, I, should, I should allow the Lord to use any instrument he wants to to point out my weaknesses. Now, again, that's not fun. And, and that's not natural. But we're not called to just live in the natural, are we? We're called to live according to the Spirit. And so there's this fear sometimes that if I say something to them, they're going to fire back and point out something in my life. And so I'll just stay quiet. And and all of those things are false interpretations. They're lies that come from Satan to silence the truth and to keep us from speaking God's word into people's lives. So what Jesus is warning against here is hypocrisy. He's not warning against us speaking about sin. He's warning us about the hypocrisy that that sometimes resides inside of our lives and inside the church. It's the hypocrisy of ignoring your own sin while you're trying to point out the sins of others. And he makes that clear through this illustration of this, this plank that's in my eye, and I'm, I'm worried about the speck of dust in, in your eye. Again, we can't take out part of this, this passage and, and just pull it out of the context. We, we can't do that. People today want to say, well, don't judge me. Judge not, lest you be judged. People that don't know any other verse in the Bible <laughs> tend to know this verse, right? And usually the ones that quote that are the ones that are the most guilty, And they don't want you going beneath the surface and talking about sin. So Jesus is not saying that. We've got to interpret this in the whole context of of what he's doing. Jesus has been pointing out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees all the way through this message. And once again, he's pointing out the hypocrisy of these religious leaders. They love to showcase their righteousness. Remember, he says they, they prayed on the street corners to be seen by men. They would give great offerings to be seen by men. They would fast and look somber and disfigure their face in order to be seen by men. They love to showcase their righteousness. And they love to magnify the sinfulness of others. Again, back to that Pharisee that came to the altar to pray. And he prayed, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like the rest of the world. I I, I give and I fast and I pray. 
And I'm not like these. Thank God that you hadn't made me like them. Magnifying his righteousness and then magnifying the sinfulness of of others. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. And Jesus calls them out on their hypocrisy here. And he shows that, 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 that while they're showcasing their righteousness, they're condemning the sinfulness of others, but they haven't stopped long enough to see this big plank in their eye. While their acts, uh, their outward acts seem to be admirable to those who, who, who saw them giving and praying and fasting, their hearts were corrupt and they were wicked and they were vile. Their motives were totally impure. They were not seeking to bring glory to God. They were seeking to bring glory to themselves. They would condemn others as being unworthy while they ignored their own sinful hearts and their wicked motives. And they may have fooled others, but they didn't fool God. God saw their heart, but here's the thing about God. He saw their wicked heart, but he loved them enough to give them another chance to repent. And that's why Jesus was sharing this message. Please don't get the idea when Jesus pointed out people's sins, he was doing so just to embarrass them or, or to, to, to belittle them. That's not the reason that Jesus ever shared about sin. And so what, what he does here is Jesus comes in and he begins to, to, to show them the love of the Father and, and to let them know that here's another opportunity to change your motives, to change your heart. Truth is, if we're not real careful, we'll become just like the Pharisees. In fact, the longer that we walk with Jesus, the more tempting that, that is, the, the easier it is to forget where we came from and to want to point out the weaknesses of everybody around us. If you've been a believer for any time at all, you know that this temptation is subtle, but it's a powerful temptation that we have to battle with. And so this warning that Jesus offers today to the Pharisees is also a warning that he's offering to you and I as well. So what, what is Jesus saying? If those are the things that he's not saying, what, what is it that Jesus is saying? Again, it's not a command not to judge, but it's a warning that we need to start by examining our own hearts. We need to look at our real motives for wanting to expose other people's sin. You see, the only way that we can really help others is from a pure heart. So our motives have got to be God-glorifying if, if anything's going to be accomplished of lasting value. Our motives cannot be God-glorifying if we're harboring sin. And so in order for me to be at a place where, where I can even talk to others about their sin, I've got to make sure that I'm dealing with my own sin. So before any exposure of sin can take place in others, there needs to be an exposure of self before God. So before I go searching for the sin in others, I better search for the sin within myself. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, first, remove the plank, and then you can see to help others. Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, he says this, first take the plank out of your own eye. First. That's our first step. If we're going to avoid hypocrisy, we've got to first take the plank out of our own eye, and then we can see clearly to remove the speck out of our brother's eye. He's not saying that you can't ever judge. He's not saying that you shouldn't ever venture out and talk to others about living a more godly life. But he's saying before you do that, you've got to take care of your own sin. And the only way to remove the the plank from our eye is with God's help. Sometimes we don't even realize how poor our eyesight is. We're blinded by our own sin. We're blinded sometimes by our own hearts. Our hearts are deceptive. Our motives can become mixed or impure, and sometimes we don't even know that. So we need the Holy Spirit to help us to do that. So Jesus uses exaggeration to make his point. He says, how prideful for us to think that I can see to remove a speck from your eye when I've got this plank in my own eye. Who would allow you 
to come poke around in their eye. Ben, if you've got something in your eye, and I want to come take that plank out, that speck out of your eye, and I want you to let me poke around in your eye with my finger, but you notice that I've got this huge plank in my own eye, who would go for that? Right? Who, who would let you poke around in their eye if, if you haven't taken care of the stuff in, in your eye? Now, if you can see clearly, there, there's been times I've been out in my wood shop working and, and, I, and stuff gets in my eye and I can't get it out. I go inside and say, Janet, and open up my eyes and say, see if you can see something in my eye. And, and I don't mind her poking around in my eye if she can see clear. But now she's wearing a blindfold. <laughs> I'm not going to let her put her finger in my eye, right? How many of y'all here would sign up for, for laser eye surgery with a blind eye doctor. None of us would, right? You're not going to let somebody who's blind dig around in your eye, especially with a laser. Why do we think the world is hesitant to listen to us as believers if we haven't first dealt with our own sin? We, we have a temptation to to want to point out other people's sin, and they're going, why should I listen to you when your sin may be different than mine, but you're not even dealing with your own sin? Why would I be anxious for you to poke around in my life if you haven't even dealt with the stuff in in your own life so it's only after we experience god's grace and understand god's forgiveness that then we're able to go and to offer that to the world our motives have got to be pure in fact our motives need to match christ's motive do you remember why god sent jesus into the world John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in scriptures, that God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. But you know what the next verse says? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And, and so Jesus didn't come to condemn, but to save. And, and, and when we expose the sin in others, it should not be to condemn them. It should not be to belittle them or to embarrass them. Uh, it, it should be to point them back to Jesus and to his grace and to his forgiveness. See, our motive ought to be to help and not to hurt. It ought to be to reconcile people to Christ and not to reject them and push them farther from Christ. It ought to be in, to encourage people to come back and to find and experience and taste this grace and this forgiveness of God, not to embarrass them in their sin. You ever seen these guys that stand on the street corner with these signs? Turn or burn. Fly or fry. You know, they got all these little sayings they put on cardboard signs and stand on street corners. Remember, we used to go to Orange and eat lunch a lot. There was a guy that always stood on the corner right there when you, when you went down 16th Street and you turned like you're going to, to Walmart. A guy stood on the corner. These big signs, and they're just this, these... You're going, do you really think that works? Scripture says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Why do we think anger and embarrassment and, and arguments and those kind of things are going to turn people's hearts back to God? Why do we think our hypocrisy would, would do that? So our motives need to match Christ, and that is that when we do go to people, and, and people are living in sin, whether it's people in our church family or people in our community, when we have an opportunity to, to enter into a conversation with them, why do we think that embarrassing them or humiliating them is the way that's going to cause them to repent. It's not. So when the Holy Spirit leads us into a conversation where we're having opportunity to talk about sin, it ought to be to point people back to the grace of Jesus. It shouldn't be to drive them farther from them. And so if this is the case, then it forever changes how we have these conversations. 
It, it changes who we speak to about the, about the sin. It, it changes what we say to them when we're discussing sin. And it changes even how we say what needs to be said in those conversations. Let me, let me explain all three of those. It, it changes who we speak to. You see, if my motive is truly to help them, if my motive is truly to bring them back to Christ and help them to, to reconcile with him, then it changes who I speak to. You say, what in the world do you mean by that? Well, if I'm going to go to Chris, and Chris and I are going to have a conversation. The Holy Spirit's led me to talk to Chris. I've, I've learned that there's maybe something in Chris's life that may be holding him back, and, and, and I feel prompted by the Spirit to go talk to Chris. It changes who I talk to. I don't go talk to Anthony about Chris. I don't go talk to Ben about Chris. I go talk to Chris about Chris. So many times in the church and so many times in, in this world, we talk to everybody else about Chris. Did you hear what Chris is doing? Man, I heard the other day that Chris, da, 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 and we just, we talk to everybody but Chris. And, and if my motive, if my heart is really to help Chris, then I don't talk to everybody else about Chris. I go in love and I talk to Chris. And, and, and what we're saying here is that there's no place for gossip in the church. There's no place for us to go talk to everybody else about somebody else's shortcomings. There's no place for slander. There's, there, there's no need even to ever mention it to anybody else. If, if, if what I'm really after is to help Chris, then I need to quietly, privately, confidentially just go to Chris. But man, it sure is a lot easier to go to everybody else. So it changes who we talk to. It also changes what we say when we talk to them. If my motive is to help Chris, then I'm not going to go to Chris with my finger pointed and condemning Chris and telling him how pagan he is and how, how, how unrighteous he is and how, how despicable he is and what a disgrace he is to the church. I'm not going to do that. It changes what I say to them. I'm not going to condemn them. I'm going to point them to Jesus. And in fact, in that conversation, there's probably going to be an opportunity where I can discuss the, the dangers of sin, the destruction of sin, but I can also in that conversation be transparent about my own struggles with sin. And it may be that I struggle with the very thing that, that Chris is struggling with. You see what I'm saying? And so there's that transparency and there's that honesty and there's that humility that, that involves in that. And that's part of how we speak to them. We, we speak to them with humility as a fellow struggler who is, 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 is still in this fight himself, we, we speak to that and, and we say, hey, look, I'm still in need of help too. So we speak with compassion. We speak with concern, not with a pride or a condemning voice. It's just one sinner telling another sinner how much better Jesus can be than the sin that we're settling for. So we tend to be far more gracious when we deal with our sin than we are when we deal with other people's sin. I know I am. Well, Lord, you know, I, I didn't mean it that way, and I didn't want to hurt their feelings, and I didn't want to. But, man, I don't give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes. And so when we're more gracious with our own sin than we are with others, that needs to be reversed. Sometimes we're more quick to point out other people's sin than we are to admit our own sin, and that should be reversed. So in order to, to, to evaluate these true motives, we need to ask ourselves a, a basic question, I think. Here's the question. Why do I even feel the need to point out somebody else's sin? What is it in me that causes me to even want to point out your sin? 
even want to speak about somebody else's faults or failings or their mistakes or their errors. What, what is it down inside of me that, that even makes me want to point out other people's sin? Is it this desire to embarrass? Is it this need to pretend that I'm somehow superior to them? That, that I don't have struggles like that? That I'm much better than that? Is it, is it a, a need to somehow defend myself and prove that, well, you know, yeah, I got my own little struggles over here, but man, I'm not near as bad as old so-and-so. Uh, what they call that old spiritual push-up where you, you push others down in order to elevate yourself up, you know? Sometimes we, we play that game. We want to defend ourselves and prove that we're not that bad. Sometimes it's just to promote myself and to prove to others that I'm on a whole different level than you are. So I've got to ask the question, what is it inside of me that even makes me want to point out other people's sin? Because, you know, when we get down to the issue of motive, we've got to ask those kind of questions. And they're not easy to ask. They're not fun to, to, to dig and to, to, to try to uncover, but we need to do that. And it could be that the reason that I feel the urge to point out a sin in others is from a true motive. And sometimes it is. It's that that true desire for them to come to know Jesus or for them to reconnect with Jesus or for them to experience the fullness of God. And and so sometimes our motives can be pure and sometimes our motives are are right on target. But but we need to look and evaluate our motives and say, what is it inside of me that, that, that gets such joy, such fulfillment out of pointing out other people's faults? There are those who claim to have a prophetic voice. And, and I don't deny that at all. I don't say that in a disparaging way. There are those that, that have been given a boldness to speak truth and to, to be able to speak into people's lives. But, but I would say to you, if you have that prophetic voice, be careful that your motives stay pure. Make sure that you're not just trying to make a name for yourself. Man, oh, so-and-so just calls it like it is. He's rough and it's hard to listen to, but man, he's bold. Make sure your motives stay pure. Make sure you're not trying to make a name for yourself. Make sure that the pride's not creeping in. And make sure that you're not just trying to cover up your own mistakes by shifting the spotlight on somebody else's mistakes. Sometimes we can determine our motives by how we handle this confrontation of sin, this conversation that we have with others. Here's some ways we can measure that. Am I talking about them but not to them? In other words, am I going all over town telling everybody else what I know, but never getting around to talking to that person? Am I a gossip? If so, my motives are not pure. Am I talking at them, but not with them? In other words, I'm pointing my finger and I'm hollering at them and I'm condemning them and I'm letting them know what they're doing that's, that's wrong. And, and I'm just doing that because iron sharpens irons. And sometimes there's sparks. You ever heard that? Am I talking at them, but not with them? Do, do I feel satisfied and smug and superior when they don't repent? Well, I talked to them and I told them. And they're just so pagan, they didn't even do it. But I'm not like that. And I feel smug and I feel superior because they didn't repent. That's a terrible motive. In fact, that's not at all like Jesus. The Bible says Jesus grieved over those who didn't repent. Remember when he was entering into Jerusalem there at the end and he looked over Jerusalem and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to, to gather you under my wings as a, as, a, as, a, as a hen would gather the chicks. 
but you would not have anything to do with it. Jesus grieved over those who didn't respond. He didn't feel satisfied and smug and superior. What about the opposite end of that spectrum? What if I, what if I feel disappointed or suspicious if they do repent? You ever felt that? You, you go to somebody and you confront them and you say, hey, what you did was wrong. What you did hurt my feelings. What you did, and you lay it out there and they say, you know what, I am, I am sorry. And they apologize. And you walk off and go, yeah, well, they said they're sorry. But they're not. They're, they're really not. I'm suspicious. I, I mean, I'll believe it when I see it, but I, yeah. I, is that motive correct? You see, if our motives are not pure, then we're going to be of little value in this issue of trying to help people with their, their walk with the Lord. So Jesus warns us that the hypocrite is the one who is distressed by the sins of others, but not by his own sin. Well, I just want people to walk with Jesus. Okay, are you walking with Jesus? You see, the hypocrite, what, what makes this person a hypocrite is that they're distressed by the sins of others while they're ignoring their own sin and their own impure motives. So they're distressed by the sins of others, but they're not distressed by their own sins. They love to look through a microscope at other people's sins and faults, but they never even take a glance at their own. They love to talk about the sins that others struggle with, while they never admit that they have struggles of their own. And the church can be guilty of this as well. Please listen to this. In the church, if we're not careful, we can talk about the sins that the world struggles with. And never talk about the things that we struggle with. We can holler and scream about pro-life issues. We can holler and scream about homosexuality and all these other big sins that are out there and drunkenness and, and, and sexual sins. And, and we can talk about all those things out there that maybe we don't even struggle with in here. And, and, and that's no different. We're putting them under the microscope while we're ignoring the, the heart issues and the motives and the things that we wrestle with. So we've got to be careful as a church that we don't just scream at the darkness while never examining our own sins. So let me ask you, I'm full of questions this morning. Let me ask you another question this morning. Would you rather discuss other people's sins or have an honest discussion about your sin? Would you rather sit around in a group and, and, and talk about other people's sins or would you rather get in a group and say, can I tell y'all where I'm struggling today? You see, there's a tendency to want to talk about everybody else's stuff and never get around to talking about our own. Would you rather listen to one sermon that just nails something that you're struggling with or listen to 10 sermons that deal with everybody else's sin? You see, we've got to ask what our motive is. Is my motive to be more holy and more godly or is it just to look more godly and more holy? 2 Timothy 4.3 Paul warns us, he says this, and he's talking about end times. He says, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Now, we know that he's talking here about those that are preaching uh, false doctrine, those who are t talking lies, those who are misleading people. But I think also Paul could be speaking about those who would rather talk about the world's sins than to talk about the church's sins. And there's many churches today that are springing up and doing great things, talking about anything other than what we wrestle with as Christians. 
And I think that's hypocritical. They rant about how bad the world is, but they never address how sinful the church can be. Uh, another question we might want to consider is, do, do I read scripture or do I come together for worship in, in order to, to gain more ammo to put in my gun so I can, I can hit somebody else? Or do I gather for worship and do I read my Bible each day hoping that God can point out more sin in my life so that I can become more godly and more holy in my relationship with him? Do we hear messages at church or on the radio or on television or the internet and say, man, I wish oh so-and-so could hear this? Or do we stop and examine our heart and say, Lord, is there any of that in me? Do we listen for others? Or, or do we listen for ourselves? Let's, let's do a little test this morning. It's, it's non-scientific, but let's just do a little test. I'm going to read you four or five verses. And I want you to, it's going to list a lot of different sins in these four or five verses, okay? And I want you to, to make a mental note of the ones that stick out in your mind as I read them, Okay. Tell me what the, the, the big sins are in this list, okay? Here we go, Romans one twenty nine. It says they, they've all become filled with every kind of wickedness. Now Paul is just in Romans 1, has just moved through this whole thing about how people have denied the truth, they suppress the truth, that God's given them over to a reprobate mind, they're doing ungodly things. There's a section about men with men and women with women and all this kind of stuff in Romans 1. And then he gets to this part and he says, they've become filled with every kind of wickedness. That's a sin. Evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy and murder and strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips and slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. That's a big list of sins. Grab a couple of them that stick out in your mind. Hang on to them for just a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, verse 20, he says, for I'm afraid, now Paul's fixing to visit the, the Corinthian church. He said, I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. And you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord and jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. There's a lot of sins there. So when you think about the big ones, the ones that, that just jump out at you, which, don't, don't say it out loud, but, but think about it, which ones stand out in your mind? as the big sins. Now answer this question. Are any of those things in your list your sins? Or are those things on your list other people's sins? Because what we tend to do is to read these, these lists of sins and man, we zero in on other people's sins and we just gloss over ours. Well, yeah, I mean, man, these guys, are, they're depraved. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but we skip over gossip. You see what I'm saying? We, we tend, when we make these lists in our head, we tend to think about these big sins, and we minimize our sins. So are the ones that stick out in your mind your sins or, or other sins? Sins that you need to fix or sins that you want to see God fix in other people? Here's another question we may want to consider this morning. Do we tremble over the sins that beset us? Or do we just get worked up over the sins that plague others? Do we tremble over the sins that beset us? In other words, when I read Scripture and God points out a sin that I'm, I'm guilty of, that I'm wrestling with, that I haven't overcome, does that bother me as much as the sin that I read about that I know somebody else is struggling with? 
And, and then here's the amazing thing is most of the time, many times, maybe not most of the time, but many times, what bothers me in others is the very sin that I'm guilty of. You know, so-and-so, she just drives me crazy. She's the biggest gossip in town. What am I doing? I'm gossiping about the gossip. Many times the things that, that, that they irritate me the most about others is the very thing I'm wrestling with myself. But it's okay for me. It's just not okay for them. And, and isn't it hypocritical when we want to remove the speck out of their eye but not the plank out of our own eye? So Jesus makes clear that the hypocrisy of being concerned about the sins of others but not my own is nothing less than pure hypocrisy. So here's his instruction. First, he says, deal with your own sin. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Now, you need God's help to do that. And then, he says, you'll be able to see clearly to help others. King David got this right. There's a lot of things King David got wrong, but King David got this right. Remember, he had the the affair with Bathsheba, had her husband put to death. And then Psalm 51, we have this record of his prayer of confession and repentance before the Lord. Now, now David still needed somebody to come and confront him. Remember Nathan Cain, man of God, a friend of David's, a man trembling before David and says, David, you're, you're the man. You, you're guilty of this sin. You think you've covered it up, but you're guilty of that. And then David repents. But notice the order. And notice the responsibility that David takes for his own sin and his own failures. Look with me in Psalm 51. Here's what David says. And again, notice the order. David says, have mercy on me. Not worried about others right now. I'm worried about me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For, for I know my transgressions and my sins always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. And, and Lord, surely I was sinful at birth and sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Was he saying, Lord, I, I, there's not been a time in my life that I haven't been sinful. Surely you desire truth in the inmost parts. Talking about our motives, drilling down deep. Here we go. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Lord, I need you to do this cleansing. I need you to remove the plank. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all of my iniquity. And then create in me a clean, a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of, of your salvation and grant me this willing spirit that will sustain me. And then finally, after 12 verses of confession, look what he says. Then, then, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be turned back to you. David got the order right. He started with himself. And he said, Lord, I've messed up and I've sinned against you and you alone. And God, I've done what was wicked in your eyes. And Lord, and he goes through this whole litany of things and, and, and he lays out his heart. He takes responsibility for his sin. And he asks God not only to cleanse him, but to create this steadfast spirit so I don't go back to that again. 
And he says, Lord, after you've done that, then and only then, will I have the integrity to speak to others. Then and only then, Lord, will I have the opportunity to teach transgressors your ways and, and, and turn sinners back to you. It was only after he dealt with his own sin that he, was, that he ever expected God to be able to use him to help others turn back. And, and the man or the woman who honestly desires to be used by God to help turn other people to the, to the kingdom of God and to the, the heart of God, the man and the woman who wants to be used by God must constantly monitor his or her own motives. They must deal as aggressively with their own sin as they want to deal with others' sins. And finally, there's one other thing they need to do, and that is they must recognize when to speak and when to stay silent. There's a right time and a right way for us to approach this issue of dealing with people that are trapped in sin. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus speaks about when to speak and when not to speak. Look what he says. It's kind of a, a, a weird-sounding passage, but I think it'll make sense here in just a second. He says, Do not give to dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. For if you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn to tear you to pieces. Seems like a verse at first glance is kind of out of context here. He's talking about hypocrisy and all these things, and, and all of a sudden this verse just kind of seems to be out of place. But, but here's what Jesus is doing. Remember, as we've studied the last several weeks, we're in the middle of a sermon, one sermon that Jesus is preaching. We've broken it down into several messages. But Jesus is preaching one long sermon, and literally at, at verse 6 here, Jesus is going to make a pivot. He's been examining the Pharisees, and he's been, been showing them their, their faults and, and teaching about their false teachings and all those other things. And at this point, Jesus is going to pivot from, from, from confronting the Pharisees make a complete pivot, and began to speak to those who will eventually follow him. He's, he's making a change here, and he's, he's, he's not only doing it, but he's teaching us how that we should do that as well. So, so here's a little background. Sacrifices, uh, people would come, Jews would make sacrifices on the altar. When they would bring an animal to be sacrificed on the altar, part of that meat would be given to the priest, and the priest could take it home, and he could eat it and share it with others. Part of that meat would be left on the altar to be consumed by the fire and given completely to God, and it was sacred. And then part of that sacred meat would be given back to the family that they could take home and they could have as a meal themselves. And so this meat was considered holy that had been placed upon the altar, and, and it was a, a special kind of meat. It wasn't just anything, but it was a special offering that had been given to God that they could take home and celebrate. And what he's saying here is that you would never take that meat off the altar and, and throw it to a dog. Now, many of us have dogs, and many of you think your dogs are, are, are just as important as your kids, maybe more important than your kids, <laughs> maybe more loved. Uh, dogs in that day were not domesticated animals. They were wild, and they were scavengers, and they would go throughout the town and eat anything that was left out. And, and, and here's what he's saying, you wouldn't throw holy meat to a scavenger animal. No one would think about that. That would desecrate the, the offering. You would never throw what is holy to a dog. And then pigs, they were seen as the most unclean animals of the day. And, and, and so what would happen is the Jews would refuse to have anything to do with animals. They had never eaten baby back ribs. These guys were missing out. Pigs were unclean in their eyes, and they had nothing to do with it. That, that's, that's the, remember the story of the prodigal son? And where'd he end up? Rock bottom in the pig pen. And so he's saying here, there's these pigs, and they're unclean. And, 
And, and pearls in that day were one of your most prized possessions. If you had pearls, you had great wealth. Remember the story about the, the, the pearl that the guy found? He went and sold everything he had to buy this pearl of great price. Here's what Jesus is saying. You wouldn't take your most valuable possession and throw it before a pig who would have no appreciation for that at all. In fact, he says what the pig would do is you would throw down your most prized possession the pig would trample it under their feet and then turn on you for not giving them what they want. That's what Jesus is saying. You wouldn't throw holy meat to a dog and you wouldn't put, cast your pearls before these swine who are just going to trample them in the mud and then come attack you because you didn't give them anything that they want. Have you ever seen a pig wearing pearls? No appreciation for good stuff. And Jesus is saying here, you wouldn't do that. What, what's he trying to say? Again, using exaggeration to make his point, he says no one would toss their most valuable possession to a pig who would have no appreciation for it. That would be a total waste. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's warning those now. He's turned and pivoted to those who are going to follow him. And he's saying to them, kingdom food, the truth that I'm giving you, the things that I'm teaching you were never intended for the dogs. nor will it be satisfying for pigs. Kingdom food, the, the, the truth that, that nourishes our soul, the gospel that, that breathes life into us, guys, it's not of any value to those who refuse to listen. It's, it's not going to be appreciated by them. Kingdom food was never intended for dogs nor was it be satisfying for pigs. There's always going to be those who reject and refuse what we have to offer. And he says, when they do, don't be surprised. And when they do, don't keep pushing. Sometimes we think we can argue people into the kingdom of God. I don't think we can. I've told you all the story before of when I was a brand new believer and I went to these evangelism training classes and they taught us how to share the gospel and, and, and you say this and if they say that then you say this and it's just this back and forth and you're trying to guide the conversation and, and, and they taught us that the best place to share the gospel was in a laundromat because people put their money in the machine and their clothes are there and they can't leave and you have a captive audience. Isn't that great evangelism? It's terrible. But that's what I was taught. So I remember going to the laundromat, man, and I would get these people and back them in a corner and start going through my spiel about the gospel and, and trying to argue them into the kingdom of God. And as I did that, one day a guy looked at me, and he was a rough-looking dude. And I wasn't afraid of anybody because I had the gospel. And he, he was rough-looking. He needed it. And I went through my whole spiel, and finally the guy just stopped me. And he said this to me, and I've never forgotten it. He said, dude, just tell me what you want me to say. And I'll say it to get you out of my face. And I thought, what in the world am I doing? That's not true conversion. That, that's not somebody being argued into the kingdom of God. That's somebody saying, I am sick of listening to you. And I'll say or do whatever you tell me to do just to get you to leave this place and leave me alone. We, we don't argue people into the kingdom of God. And, and so what he's trying to say here is that, that people will reject and refuse what we have to offer sometimes. And when we find that rejection and that refusal, it's okay to move on. Jesus is doing that with the Pharisees. He's just made this pivot. He's, he's been dealing with them and exposing their sin in hopes that some would see and them come. 
And then he pivots and he begins to talk for the rest of this sermon to those who are going to now follow him. And he says there's a time and a place where that may have to occur with, with each of us. You've shared with somebody, you've shared with somebody, you've shared with somebody, and, and, and they're just closed off and they are not listening and they're not ready. And you may need to back away. Now, here's the thing. Jesus pivoted for the rest of this message. But Jesus would again and again circle back, circle back, and circle back. Through the next three years of his ministry, he kept coming back and, and, and speaking truth to the Pharisees, hoping that their hearts would change. And, and some did. But Jesus didn't concentrate his whole ministry on saying, we're going to stay here and have an argument until last man standing. That's not what he did. And that's not what we're called to do either. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and know when to move on. We've got to give the Holy Spirit time and space to work. Jesus Jesus did that. And, And we're called to be like Jesus. And so there's times when you'll go to a a brother or a believer in Christ and say, hey, can we talk? And they may or may not be open at that moment. And if they're not, then we sense the Holy Spirit saying, hey, let's let's come back again. And let's give this some time. And we, we pray that God will soften hearts. We pray that God will change their minds and give them the opportunity to to Repent. And our hearts ought to be heavy, and our hearts ought to be broken, and our hearts ought to be laid bare before God as we pray for their good. And we pray for God to bring them around as God's brought us around. So as I close today, I want to encourage you to, to monitor your motives, to, to really take some time and, and examine your real motives. Why is it that you get such pleasure out of pointing out somebody else's faults? while you gloss over your own. Are your motives pure? If your motives are pure, then ask the Holy Spirit to guide you as you do this. But if your, holy, if your, if your motives are not pure, then ask the Holy Spirit to change you and to correct your motives. And when you go with the right motives, don't be surprised if others are not overly excited to see you come. We, we naturally don't like to have people point out our sin, but you know what? Sometimes it's what we need the most. And as you share the gospel, notice their response. Those that that God's dealing with, you're going to sense that God's dealing with them. And you're going to feel the freedom to have that discussion. And those that are closed, you're going to sense that as well. Those that, that fiercely oppose you, they may not yet be ready. You don't win them by arguing them into the kingdom. You've got to allow God to work on their hearts and to get them ready. We've got to check our motives. We've got to make sure that, that we are doing what God's called us to do for the right reason. If my motive in pointing out other people's sin is to hurt them or to embarrass them or to shame them, that's not right. And guys, listen, we're fooling ourselves if we think that we can harbor our own sin and still have a voice in other people's lives. It's not going to happen. So we do what Jesus says. First, we, we, we work on this plank that's in our own eye. And then and only then can God use us to help others. I want us to pray together. 
And I want us to ask God to, to begin this process of searching us. And, and really, I mean, you may have to, to carve out some, some serious time with God and just get still and get quiet and get away from all the distractions and say, God, would you reveal my heart? Would you show me my motives? Would you help me to get this right with me before I ever try to, to be used by you to help, to help other people? So let's pray.